0: Good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is, when you may tune in and welcome to you. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is lesson four of our series entitled Beaming at the Bema Preparing for the Afterlife. And so I want to continue tonight. We've been looking at this Bema Seat Judgment Seat of Christ, trying to understand more about this. And understand what it what it is not, and to understand more fully what it is, because it is the destiny in the afterlife for the believer. Every single believer will be there. Paul said in Second Corinthians five ten, we must all appear. All means all. So we talked in an earlier lesson that it is not a judgment for sin at all that was dealt with by the cross of Jesus Christ. It is not a judgment that is dealing with condemnation or shame. There's not going to be any of that. It is only for believers, and it is the judgment or the accounting day, the reckoning day, and we honed in on how the focus of this judgment is for stewardship, faithfulness or unfaithfulness in stewardship. This is all about stewardship. So you can understand more about that by going back to these earlier lessons, particularly lesson three. We dealt very heavily with this concept and notion that this is all about stewardship and faithfulness. So the key that this entire Bema Seed is going to focus on is faithfulness. We looked at the parable of the talents, the parable of the minas, etc., and we saw how there were rewards based on faithfulness, not on amount. The rewarding is based upon the faithfulness with what each one has been given. So continuing forward tonight, I want us to consider some early elements of it, and next lesson we'll start to get into more of the actual details given to us in the scriptures of exactly what will happen with each person as we are evaluated. So how does this work, and when does it happen, and who is our judge Well, first of all, God the Father is the judge of all of the earth, heaven and earth, but the Bema seat, Paul tells us, is the judgment seat of Christ. It is Christ who is going to be judging us. He has been given the authority. He even said so right before he ascended. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, as the second person of the Trinity, then there is a union of authority anyway. But they are still individual roles or persons in the Godhead and in the in the triunity of our God. But Jesus is the one that we will appear before. He is the one that's going to do the evaluating and the judging at this Bema Seat that, remember is all focused on faithfulness or unfaithfulness with stewardship. So how does it work? Let's talk a little bit about that and when does it happen. Now we're going to discuss some of this in this lesson and some in either one or two more lessons following. But here Let's look at some of the structuring and identifying elements that are involved in this Bema Seat and how it's going to function. And then let's look at each of these obviously covering them biblically. This is not for me to share my opinion or argue with you or try to convince you of anything. We want to look at what the Scriptures say because the Scriptures The Holy Word of God is the authority and is the final authority. Some things we are told, some things we are not specifically told exactly. And therefore, we may only be able to speculate on those things. And what I want to focus on is the scripture. So we're going to look at several scriptures in this lesson. First of all, let's consider this type of event that it is. Is it public or is it private? Now, some scholars disagree. So let's see what scriptures we can look at that may help us in understanding more about whether this is a public event, meaning for the whole assembly of the body, versus a private one-on-one type of event. First of all, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, the main focus and the main scripture text for this study, Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, by him saying all, he obviously means all, the whole of the body. But that still is unclear if it is to occur one at a time or all of us together. So let's consider some other scriptures that may help us in our understanding. First of all, let's look at Jude, and Jude only has one chapter. We're going to look at verse 24 and 25. Jude writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. So in this passage in verse 24 and then 25 says, To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. And every Christian says amen and amen to that. So this word when it says in verse 24, To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present faultless really is what it says, but the you is understood. Same you, he's talking about the same group of people. And I did contact a friend of mine who is more of a Greek scholar than I am, and he did tell me that that word for you that's used there in verse 24 is in fact plural. So when is this speaking of? Well, Obviously, if it's plural, it would undoubtedly perhaps not be when each new person arrives in heaven at their death or whatever. Uh, Perhaps it's at the end of this Bema Seat because once we get done with the Bema Seat judgment, one of the things that we will obtain there is something that we will need for the next event that we will face in the short impending future after the Bema Seat, and that is the wedding and the marriage supper. Perhaps it is referring to the actual wedding when Jesus will present all of His bride together, the plurality of them, the wholeness of all of them, all of us as His bride together at the wedding to the Father. This is a little bit ambiguous, but it does bring out that it's a plural here. The word you is used plural. So let's consider a few other places. Let's look at Revelation. I want to look at the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15 through 18. Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and reigned, or begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the, ju- of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth." This is probably one of the most clear to me that indicates that this is probably a public event where all of us will be together. Because it says here that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name small and great. So that's talking about a whole lot of people and all of the saints, all of the believers, all of the Christians for all time. So that to me indicates that it is a public, a more public event. And the final one that I want to look at is John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4 I want to read verses 33 through 38. John is recording for us now the event that happened when Jesus went and met the woman at the well and the disciples had gone away to get some food. They came back and, you know, he, they tell him, you know, Rabbi, eat. Verse 32 says, but he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you had not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So this here indicates another passage to me that this is a group event. It is a public event where we will all be sharing together. And I'm going to come back to that particular passage right there at another time to, to talk about another element of this that is very powerful to understand. But these are just some evidences from the Scriptures that may clarify that for us. Now, I don't know for certain, but it appears to me from these scriptural contexts and passages that this is probably a public event. It is really an awards ceremony. We need to remember that. It will will not be shame and condemnation. I don't believe there will be any of that. I don't believe there will be any of that for us, for ourselves, or for anyone else. But rather, it's going to be a time when we will rejoice with each other over the successes and the fruit. I believe that this is going to be bathed in humility, joy, and appreciation, I think those are kind of going to rule the day, so to speak, and be what is is really felt and the the deepness and the depth of what we will be experiencing that day. We will all be humbled to be in His presence, to see the perfect Son of the living God, and to be at this ceremony where each of us even has an opportunity to have any fruit to present to him. How humbling is that? So I don't believe it's going to include shame and condemnation. Now, will there be regret and possibly even tears of regret? Of course. Every single one of us will probably experience some degree of regret because we've missed opportunities or we displeased the Lord on in this or in that or perhaps drop the ball on this assignment, or whatever it may be. Nobody is going to be there standing perfectly. The only one who will get all the glory for any of these things is going to be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because everything we've done in this life that is of any eternal value is a result of Him working through us. We can do nothing. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing So we recognize that, and I believe that's going to be part of the humility on that day. Even if we're being rewarded, I think there's still going to be a humility that we will recognize that it's not our doing. It was Him working through us. So I believe that all of the honor and all of the glory will be to Him. I believe it'll be a a day of great humility and great joy and great appreciation that we've even been able to be a part of his family and a part of working as his servants in the field of the world. So how will we be judged there? Well, it's unknown exactly how all of this is going to work, so we do not want to go beyond what Scripture says. But there are elements and factors that are given to us in the scriptures to indicate some of the things that may occur during this event and possibly ways that it will happen. The first thing I want to point out right now, and we're going to close with this one in this particular lesson, we will pick up others in the next lesson and go forward from there. But I do want to just mention this, that apparently there will be some form of books that will be opened and either read from or referenced in some way. Um, There are two particular places in Scripture that literally speak of books being opened in the future. Now, when I look at those very quickly, there are two of them, and both of them are in prophetic books. One is found in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7. I want to read verses 9 and 10. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. You can see more about that in Ezekiel chapter 1. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. If you continue reading, you will find out that this is apparently the time period when the dominion, the everlasting kingdom will be delivered to Jesus Christ by the Father, the Ancient of Days, who is on this throne. So this could be perhaps before or right after or sometime around his second coming at the Millennial Kingdom. If you go reading on, you'll see, for instance, in verse 13 and 14, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So we know that this is talking about Jesus and so this appears to be at the time when he will be receiving the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom in its entirety and that is yet to come in the future. The second place where it speaks specifically about books being opened is in Revelation chapter 20, and this this is found in verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This book of life they're speaking of here is the Lamb's book of life. And this is the great white throne judgment primarily spoken of here. But we do see evidence that books were opened here. That can Indicate to us, at least, that there's very likely books that are going to be opened at the Bema seat. Obviously, there will be an accounting for the stewardship. So there are going to be some form of accounting books, ledgers, logs, that will be brought, whatever. I don't know exactly, but there will be books that will be opened, books that will be revealed, Spoken about and looked into. Now, we don't realize always that there may be some form of a library in heaven. The scriptures tell us about several books that may be there and that apparently are there in some form, whether they're books like we would think of here in America, whether they're scrolls or some other form of accounting and inventory. The Bible tells us that Jesus, there, he sees every sparrow that falls. Not one falls to the ground without his knowledge. He knows the number of hair on our head. He bottles up our tears. There's loads and loads of inventory and accounting going on in the halls of heaven some way and somehow on a daily basis every, every day that we're in, in this life. So first of all, we know that there's the Lamb's book of life. This is the one that the Lamb writes the names in. This is the one that contains all the names of every single person who has believed in Jesus Christ, is born again, and whose home and citizenship is in heaven. Jesus spoke about it several times, and here we see in the book of Revelation that John is speaking about it in regard to these things that are yet to come. The Lamb's Book of Life is the one that we talked about earlier, and you can also check it out in the Revelation series as well. There's two destinations, two groups of people. Your name is either in the Lamb's Book of Life or it is not. If it is in there, then you are—you have a home secured in heaven. Our citizenship is there. We are just passing through this earth, and we will all be uh, together and Standing before the Lord at this judgment seat of Christ. If your name is not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then you are subject to the second death spoken of here, which is to be cast into eternal torment in the lake of fire. So that's just the truth. That's what Scripture tells us. We must proclaim the truth and we will not water it down. That is the truth. You want to secure your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. As a matter of fact, Jesus even referred to that one time when he had sent out the 70 and they came back and they're they're rejoicing. Even the demons are subject to us. And that's when Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He said and then he talks about the power and the authority he, he delegates to us for this course of life in this life till we make it to the other side. But then he says this, But rejoice in this. You rejoice in the fact that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. That's what what matters. He says you rejoice that your name is written in heaven. It's written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life because Psalm 87 verse 5 and 6 tells us that the Lord will register the people that this one and that one is born there. When we are born from above, born again like Jesus talked to Nicodemus about, In John chapter 3, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So we know that the Lamb's Book of Life is one of those that will be there. And everyone at the Bema seat will be found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No one else will be there except all who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And all who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will, in fact, be there. The Bible also speaks of a book of life. Now perhaps this is, and I believe it is a separate one from the one that John is talking about here in Revelation. He's already defined this in an earlier chapter of Revelation as the Lamb's book of life. But there is also a book of life that may be referencing each individual person's life, each individual person's, perhaps even their creation Imagine that that the Lord may be have a record in heaven of your creation from the very first cell in your mother's womb as you developed and as you were being knit in your mother's womb like Psalm 139 talks about and when you were born and your, your birth and then your growth from there and as you became a child and grew into adulthood. and I mean, just all of that for your entire life. Jesus cares about every detail of our lives. And the kind of recording that He does, if He's inventorying every sparrow that falls and every hair on our head, it doesn't surprise me at all that He would have a book of life on every individual person. Perhaps He even has in that book Each individual person's specific DNA code that is only unique to you. No one else has your DNA code exactly. And so maybe that book of life has those kinds of things, some kind of inventory. There's also perhaps a book of the days of your life, I might call it, or the book of God's plan for your life. In Psalm 139, I referenced it a moment ago. I want to turn there right now and read this. It says this, beginning in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So, in other words, this indicates to us that God has a book of plans for our life, maybe. Uh, His days of our life that were planned by him, the ones that were fashioned by him each day of our individual life. How precious is that? How intricate is our Lord? There's also another book spoken of that I want to look at now. And it's found in the book of Malachi. It speaks of this one. In Malachi chapter 3, I want to read verses 16 and 17. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 16, it says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him, or in his face, in his presence, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So here we see this book called the Book of Remembrance, and it's interesting because it says here that the Lord listened and heard them. The Lord, in other words, it means he literally perked up his ear. It pleased him so much. It drew him to, to listen, to care that they loved him that much, that they were speaking highly of him. It was a special draw of his attention. And these are described as people who fear the Lord, who revere and honor him, who have awe for him. And it says here in my version, meditate on his name. It really means who either think and regard and count him worthy, who value him, and who esteem him highly. Those are the people that he is drawn to and he's writing in this book of remembrance. You know, a lot of times I've, I've thought of this. I mean, this says when you're just talking together, when, when we're speaking together with one another, this could be in a variety of applications. It could even be inside your own home when you're having perhaps a family altar or testimony time with your family. You're training your children, they're recording to you. Man, I thank the Lord, you know, he helped me on my science test today. I wasn't sure if I'd pass it or not and I, and I got an A on it or I got a B on it or whatever. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of applications to this. What about when, you know, a friend calls you and you want to get together and and go to lunch or something like that, and you meet together, and you're talking to one another about the good things of God, about what He's done, about how He's brought you out. Or maybe your friend needs encouragement. Maybe that person is going through a very difficult time, and you meet with them, and you are pouring into them encouragement from the Spirit of the living God. You're pouring into them scriptures. You're reading the Word with them. You're praying praying with them. Those kinds of things are the kinds of things spoken of here that that perk up the ear of the Lord to the point that he'll write a book of remembrance and he's going to take an account of these things. So the Bible indicates that there is this also this book of remembrance. There are possibly other books. Scripture does speak of at least one other and that's called the book of wars. W-A-R-S. Wars. There are perhaps a book of deeds. Some believe that this these judgments will be from a book of deeds. It may be that that is the same thing as reference to some of the other things that I've mentioned here also. But there will be books that will be opened. Some form of accounting, some form of ledgers, some form of log of all of our works The Bible says the good and the bad and possibly some ugly, but not any that is in reference to sin that was in our life before we believed in Jesus Christ. Because when we come to Jesus, He washes all of those sins away. They are no more. The Bible says He cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. So any ugly that's from sin prior to knowing Jesus Christ will not be there. But there may be some good and some bad. Now when Paul uses that word for whether they be good or bad in 2 Corinthians 5, that word for bad doesn't mean sinful and evil. It means worthless, useless. In other words, those that were done and they have no eternal value. That's what he's talking about there. So let me clarify that right now. And we'll Bring out more of that next in the next lesson when we go forward with this. But remember, that's not talking about bad, sinful things. He's not saying here that Christians are going to just continue to sin and all of that. He covers that in Romans chapter 6. He says, Since grace abounds, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound more? And his answer is, Absolutely, positively, in no way, no how. No, absolutely not. So read Romans chapter 6 to understand more of that and how there is a difference when Jesus Christ comes in. So in 2 Corinthians nine ten, when it's talking about us being judged at the judgment seat of Christ for all of our deeds, whether they were good or bad, it's talking about the eternal value of them, whether they truly have eternal value or whether they don't and they are useless in the sense of eternal value. Now, I want to read a few other scriptures as I draw down to a close here tonight. First of all, I want to read in the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the books that Solomon wrote. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, Solomon writes, he wraps up his entire book. These are the very last verses of his book. And he says this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The whole book of Ecclesiastes really is teaching us that life is nothing but vanity apart from being filled with God, filled with Jesus, if you don't have Jesus in your life, your life is vain. It's useless. You, you are searching and you are always feeling void. There's something missing. There's something very great that is missing in your life. And it is Jesus Christ. He is what fills life with joy. He is what makes life worth living. And so you can learn that with uh, Solomon's writing here of wisdom in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. And that's why he comes down to the whole matter. He says this is the conclusion of it all. Fear God, honor him, keep his commandments, obey him. What is the commandment in the New Testament that we are to keep? Jesus tells us in the book of John, he says there's one work that God demands of us, and that is believe on the Son of God that he has sent. Believe on him Him who the Father has sent, and that is Jesus Christ the Son of the living God. Then I want to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, and I am going to read this again. This is more of our foundational text for this study. But I want to read it again. Verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Why? Why? He tells us in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, or in other words, useless, worthless in the sense of eternal value. Then in Romans chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, Paul speaks more about this and he says this. He's talking about people judging each other and and so forth and he says in verse 4 Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by present continuance in doing good seek for glory honor and immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of him of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. He's not talking here about works salvation, but he is talking here about being judged in accordance with our works, and there will be rewards or punishment based upon those works in which category they fall in. So that's what Paul is talking about here. Then in John chapter 3, Verse 21, I want to read verses 18 through 21, John chapter 3. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already or stands under a death penalty already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Then I want to read in in Matthew chapter 6. I want to read three particular verses here to bring out this final point. In Matthew chapter 6, the first few verses, he's talking about the doing of charitable deeds, the good deeds, giving of alms, giving of offerings to help the poor, etc., serving the poor. And he says this in verse 4, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Next, he starts talking about praying and how we should pray. And he's talking about praying uh, not to be seen and so forth. He says in verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, in other words, gotten alone, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And then in verse 18, He's talking here about fasting, fasting in prayer. And he says this in verse 18, So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So here again, it's indicating to us that there is an accounting we will give. The Father is taking notice He is remembering those things. There will be a reward, and it appears to be at a public awards ceremony. Remember here the focus of this public ceremony is stewardship and faithfulness. Praise be to God. In the next lesson, we're going to look deeper into how this is done, how it's going to come about, and how these works will be judged and perhaps even getting into the rewards, either in the next lesson or in the one after that. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and that it is helping you to understand more about the Bema Seek judgment of Christ that is ahead for every believer. It is not something for us to fear, but it is something for us to understand, and it will affect how we are living now when we have a thorough understanding of it, and that is our goal, is how does it affect us today and the choices we need to make. So continue to join us for these future episodes of this Beaming at the Bema series. God bless you in Jesus' name.